Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Romans chapter 8, meet me at the top. Why don't you find in your copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. Whether you have a Bible there in front of you or a device of some kind, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 again as we continue our teaching series, uh, Meet Me at the Top. As, as you remember from last week, uh, we pointed out that in the entire mountain range of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 8 is one of the highest peaks in that entire mountain range. Because Romans chapter 8 talks about the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life of Jesus Christ and the power of Almighty God living in us and living through us that leads to victory in this life. That's a pretty big deal if you ask me. And so I am thrilled to once again uh, journey with you in Romans chapter 8 today. We're going to begin reading in verse 5 and go to verse 11 today. Paul the Apostle said this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We're talking today about the Spirit-filled life. We're talking about victory in the Spirit, but as we do, let's talk just for a moment about some backstory, yours and mine, because when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, I mean, really diving into this topic, we all bring some type of backstory, don't we? And, uh, And I would tell you that I would guess that most of us here probably Uh, would not consider ourselves overly familiar with the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit because we, you know, we historically have have, have tended to associate that with our our Pentecostal and our charismatic brothers and sisters, almost to the point that we we assume that they have some type of monopoly, some exclusive monopoly on on, on the deeper things of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Take me, for example. So I was saved in a, uh, in a Baptist church when I was 17 years old, came to faith in Christ, very serious about following the Lord. But one of the implied messages that I felt like I began to receive from that church as I look back was this. Um, you need to look upon people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit with suspicion. Right? It's like, keep your distance. Don't, don't get too close to someone who's talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's true. Right? I mean, yes, we, we kind of talked about the Holy Spirit in reserved terms, and it, it's true that th- there are some Pentecostal and, and charismatic excesses to avoid, but looking back, I truly feel like, at least in the church where I was saved, we tended to throw the theological baby out with the bathwater. And, there, and there, was, there was a certain reluctance to engage and dive into what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, I'm not alone in that. 
uh, many of you had a very similar experience over the years in that. Even one of the greatest Baptist godfathers of the last 50 to 60 years, a man about whom I'm writing a book about his ministry in Florida back in the 60s named Adrian Rogers. Many of you remember he was pastor in, in Memphis for 30 years at Bellevue Baptist Church. Well, back in the 60s, he was a pastor down in Florida. And he said something just, it seems like a very remote uh, statement, but he said something that, that really caught my mind. Listen to this. And by the way, again, this is, this is the Baptist godfather, Adrian Rogers, saying this. He said, either when I was a young Christian, I was deaf, or preachers did not preach the fullness of the Spirit. I never heard it. I was born again in the Southern Baptist Church, went to a Southern Baptist college, went to a Southern Baptist seminary, and yet I was out and preaching for about five years before I understood how to be filled with the Spirit. That God does not want me to do anything for Him, rather He wants to do something in and through me. And that's, that's really the operational statement there. The fullness of the Spirit is not us doing anything for God as if you're going to grind your way to godliness, but rather it's the Spirit of God doing something in and through you. That's what we're talking about today. Now, I didn't have a really clear picture of that for many years, and so what I did, I, I did exactly what many Christian people do. I defaulted to my own strength and my own efforts and my own abilities to produce the Christian life. Again, as I shared with you last week, it was almost as if I was on a religious treadmill. You know, if I just could just work a little harder for God and do more things and serve more energetically and all the rest, then, then somehow this, this wonderful Christian life will be manifested in me. When in fact... God intended all along for the Holy Spirit to produce that life in inside of me. And when we miss that point, listen, the devil is, is opposed to what I'm going to tell you this morning about as much as he's opposed to anything. That's what A.W. Tozer said. Listen to Tozer. Satan opposes the doctrine of the Spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. As a result, the church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God a wonderful and satisfying filling with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say a big amen to that. So we're going to get into that this morning, and I'm going to show you a couple things from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, about victory in the Spirit. And the first thing I want you to see is the Holy Spirit and what I call conversion. Okay, the Holy Spirit and conversion. Now look at the contrast in verses 5 through 8. Just look in your Bible right now, and you'll see a, a repeated contrast between life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. Life in the Spirit, life in the flesh, and back and forth and back and forth. Now you remember that last week I told you that in the life of every follower of Jesus, someone who, is, who has trusted Jesus and been saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of that person. But the flesh that part of us that is opposed to God still has a place in our lives and will have a place in our lives until we step into heaven one day when the flesh is absolutely eradicated. Okay, so in the life of a Christian, there's going to be this battle, this internal battle taking place between the spirit and the flesh. We talked about that last week. But in verses 5 through 8, the contrast is between a lost person who's 100% eaten up with the flesh and a saved person who actually has the Holy Spirit inside of them. So when Paul the Apostle goes back and forth between life in the, the flesh, life in the Spirit, he's talking about a lost person and a saved person. In other words, the bottom line is this. The Holy Spirit makes the difference between spiritual death and spiritual life 
in the lives of every single person. And so when we talk about conversion, that point in time, that moment when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what all takes place inside of us, we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit operates along several lines. First of all, we know that the Holy Spirit convicts, right? I mean, the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin. That's what Jesus said. Look in John chapter 16. Jesus said, when the helper, which by the way is a a special word that, that John specifically used for the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You can't possibly come to Jesus unless you're first convicted that you're a sinner in the first place, okay? So that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does at the point of conversion. He, he convicts. By the way, this is a great time to remind everybody that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in three persons, blessed Trinity as the song says. So the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal it, it's a personal he. That, that's why Jesus used that pronoun. Here's another thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit regenerates. Look in Titus chapter 3, I'll put it on the screen for you. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's the word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That transformational work that moves a human being from death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life and transformation is called regeneration. But get this, understand this. Regeneration is not the picture of the Holy Spirit standing next to you and waving some kind of spiritual magic wand over you saying, you are now regenerated. Bling! No. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit actually steps inside of you. And you're regenerated as the, as the Spirit is poured into you. That, that's, that's what regeneration is from Titus chapter 3. It's the same concept of the new, the new birth uh, in John chapter 3. You, Jesus said you must be born again. So there's that regeneration. But here's another thing the Spirit does at the point of conversion. The Spirit also baptizes. Some of you might have heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that for just a moment from 1 Corinthians 12. Again, Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthians, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized. Again, this is not talking about water baptism as we understand it and practice it in believers' baptism. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The meaning of this is crystal clear. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes into anyone who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. They're baptized into Christ, in union with Christ, and also baptized into what we call the body of Christ, the totality of all people who have ever placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people will talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they'll talk in terms of a subsequent baptism of the Spirit, meaning maybe a week later after you 
have a, have a personal commitment to, to Jesus Christ a week later, a month later, or six months later, or a year, or two or three years later, then you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only two problems with that. First of all, you have that little word, A-L-L, in 1 Corinthians 12 that said, all have been baptized in the Spirit who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not just some, or it'll happen later. And second of all, let's think about this. There's no place in the New Testament where anybody is commanded to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they've already been baptized in the Spirit. Now, we are commanded, as we'll see in a few moments, uh, to, to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's a repeated thing, a daily thing, really. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at the point of conversion. And here's one other thing the Holy Spirit does at the point of conversion. The Holy Spirit seals S-E-A-L-S. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, look at this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in the ancient world, the kings, rulers, magistrates would have a a special signet ring or maybe a little stamp of some kind, and, and they would seal official documents to say, this is legit, this is going to happen, and they would take a little, a little thing of hot wax and drip it onto that, on that document or that whatever it might be, a proclamation, and then they would seal it with their own personal seal, saying, this is indeed the truth, and this will come to pass. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed, you receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that one day you will also be transformed and in God's presence and glory. That's a, it's a promise. It is an absolute guarantee. There's nothing anyone can do to derail something if God has placed his seal on it. Now, those are just the things that, that the Holy Spirit does at the point of conversion. Why do we talk about that? Because that is the gateway to the Spirit-filled life. To say, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower here and you've trusted Jesus Christ, there is nothing Nothing that would prohibit you from having the, the possibility of the Spirit-filled life. You can't say, well, that won't apply to me, right? So the next thing I'm going to share with you is not just the Holy Spirit and conversion, but the Holy Spirit and the victorious life. And that's what you see in verses 9 through 11, okay? And that, that's where God wants all of us to be. As a matter of fact, look at the direct language in verse 9. Paul the Apostle says, I'm talking to you, right? He said, these people in the flesh, these people who are not saved, these people who are lost— That's not who I'm talking to now. I'm talking to you, you who have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Now, you remember last week that we talked about the victory that we have in the Holy Spirit, specifically victory over sin and victory for the kind of things that God wants to see in abundance in our lives, things like abiding in Jesus and and loving our neighbors and loving other people consistently, not selectively. Uh, effectively and consistently sharing our faith and, and leading others to become followers of Jesus. Those are the kind of things that the Holy Spirit gives us victory for, right? And all of that flows out of what's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, here's the verse, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 8, look at this. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is one of control, It's one of, you're not in control of things. You've allowed the Holy Spirit to control you. You've heard of Jesus take the wheel? This is like 10 times beyond that, okay? 
This is the Spirit of God, the, the, the presence of Almighty God having control in your life, calling the shots on a daily basis. That what it, that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we talk about the fullness of the Spirit and the Spirit-filled life, let's, let's remind ourselves what it is not, okay? Because it's important for us to understand what I'm not talking about, especially based on what I said last week and this week as well. First of all, it is not hustle culture wearing a Christian t-shirt. Now, there's a lot of hustle culture out there in the world today, right? And the hustle culture says things like, man, if you want it, you got to go after it. you got to make things happen. It's all on you. Nobody's coming. It's up to you. you gotta, you got to work hard. you can sweat equity and go, 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 go. Now, look, the Bible absolutely places a high premium on hard work and diligence. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But I will tell you this, um, the hustle culture can easily invade a Christian's heart to the point that you think you're going to grind your way to godliness, all right? Now, you say, what's the hustle culture? All right, Joe Rogan, the, the apostle of the hustle culture, be the hero. You can choose to be the hero of your own movie right now. Write down your goals. Write down things you want to improve. Write down things you won't tolerate from yourself. Write down things you've done in the past you never want to see yourself do again. And go forth from here as the hero of your own movie. And how about this from Cameron Hain in his book Endure? Being in beast mode is when it feels like you're in a superhuman state of being. When in your mind you're, you're playing at a level above everybody else. Is this reality? Doesn't matter. If you believe you are, you are. The mindset of a winner is unbeatable. Man, when I was in college, I had a Vince Lombardi poster in my college room. And, and the little poster had a big quote from Vince Lombardi, and the title of the quote was, What It Takes to Be Number One. And he was like, you got to win. Man, life is all about winning and beating the other guy and being on top and, and crossing the finish line and go, 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 go. And I tell you, I saw that poster, I said, that appeals to me. That appeals to me. Right? Now, again, is there anything wrong with hard work and diligence? No. But I will tell you at the end of the day, if it's not God in and through us, what do we really have? Right? Think, think about what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And here's what Jesus said. Look at this, John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? So the, 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 the spirit-filled life, the, the life of victory is not hustle culture just wearing a t-shirt but here's the other thing that the spirit-filled life is not it's not shiny happy people some of you have seen this documentary that just recently came out called shiny happy people it's kind of a documentary on uh, uh, Bill Gothard and the Institute uh, for, for principles of basic principles of life it's also includes the Duggar family you know the old uh, uh, 19 kids and counting from Arkansas here the Duggar family that kind of espoused a lot of the principles of of these these organizations and systems the uh, documentary is a, I would describe it as a sad, sad tale of rules-based and behavior-based legalism uh, that was all about don't do this. And I mean, I'm talking, this is like on steroids now. Don't do this, don't do this, 
don't do this, don't do this, and if you step out of line, we're going to get you. It's a a story of a a man-made, manufactured, fear-based reality. It's sad. And you know the bad thing about it, one of the worst things, is that the leaders, the leaders in this this movement and so forth, that, that once you find out we're living hypocritical lives, who were not following a lot of what they were pounding their people to follow, and at the the end of the day, they were guilty of all levels of abuse, which is not uncommon among situations where it's all, again, you're grinding your way to godliness. It's all about appearance, right? Kind of reminds me of the Pharisees and what Jesus had to say in Matthew 23. Look at this. Jesus said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful,' but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, the reason why I point this out is because some of you came out of churches, and you know this very well, some of our people have come out of churches that were heavily legalistic based on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And when I get up and start talking about victory, and I start talking about the Spirit-filled life, and I start talking about victory over sin and victory for all these other things, the, the hair on the back of some people's neck starts to stand up to say, are we going back down that road that I was down before? Because if this is all about me somehow producing this, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not for that. Okay? Well, that, that's not where we're at today. That, that's not at all. We're not talking about shiny, happy people and, and this, this, this illusion of godliness. I'm talking about a life that is, that is absolutely driven by an overflow of God's goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit of God. Who doesn't want more of that? There's absolutely nothing scary about that. I shared an illustration with you some time ago, and it bears repeating. So years ago, this is probably 80 or 90 years ago now, there was a pastor named A.J. Gordon. And A.J. Gordon went to the state fair uh, where he was living, and he went to the Midway. You know, they have all the little prizes and games and little sideshows and all the stuff on the Midway, and he's just checking that out. And off in the distance, he sees a guy. But the guy was dressed up kind of like in a Chinese kimono-type type deal, and he was working one of these old pumps, you know, the old pump where you work the handle and the water comes out and you fill the pitcher with it and so forth. But this, from a distance, he saw this guy, and man, he was so furiously working this. I mean, he was like, man, he's like a machine, just a machine, cranking that water out like crazy. He said, I have to see more of this. So he walked up closer, and then he realized that the guy wasn't even a guy at all. He was a wooden mannequin with his hand strapped to the pump handle, and a hinge in his arm going up and down like this. And then he realized that 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 pitcher pump was not over a pump at all. It wasn't a pump. That device was, was placed intentionally over an artesian well. And in an artesian well, water just naturally flows up with force and pressure out of the ground. And the water was coming through there and making that guy's arm go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth like a machine. And A.J. Gordon stepped back and he said, this is amazing. He's not pumping the water. The water is pumping him. Now, friends, I wish I had heard that 30 years ago. I wish I had heard that 30 years ago. Remember, God doesn't want us to do anything for him. He wants to do something in and through us. Think about what Jesus said, John chapter 7. By the way, turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus said, 
That's right. This is coming from Jesus now. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit. He said it about the Spirit. I I want that to be more of a reality in my life. I I, I want what we're talking about today. Listen, I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from experience, but I'm not speaking from a rival. You know there's a big difference, right? I'm not sitting up here trying to say I'm the expert on everything and just, just I know it all, but I'm telling you I have gotten at least a taste of what I'm talking about today, and I want more of it. I want more of it in my life. So here's what we're going to do. For our remaining moments together, I'm going to share with you four or five things that I think are true of people who are experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong. My, my goal is not to give you a checklist. My goal is not to give you a task list. Oh, if I just do this, 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 and this. But what I'm telling you is based on my own observation in the Scripture and in my own life and in the lives of generation upon generation of people who have experienced this, this fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives, these things tend to be true. Okay? So make sure you get these down. By the way, somebody told me earlier, they said, boy, you and David Platmo today, Pastor. I mean, you, just, you are hitting us with a lot of information. Well... Keep writing it down because there's more to follow. All right, here's the first thing. Seek God's face before seeking God's hand. You know the difference? Seeking God's hand is all about seeking God, his provision, his protection, the things that he does for us. And the Bible certainly talks a lot about that. Right? God, God is a good, good God. He's a good father. He provides for us and so forth, and that's important. But what we find out in the Scripture is there is a higher premium placed on seeking God's face, which basically means seeking God for who He is before we ever seek God for what He does. All right, look at this. Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And then Psalm 27, just a few chapters later, uh, very plainly it says, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Those who are filled with the Spirit, I'm telling you, place a higher premium on seeking God's face than they do on seeking God's hand. Here's the second thing, and very much connected to the first. Experience prayer, or see prayer, as a time to be, rather than a task to do. Understand that prayer is ultimately a time to be with God, rather than a task we do for God. It's the presence of God versus another thing we do for God. This This is huge. Okay, think about Jesus, I mean, the, the, the paragon of all, of all examples. And rising, Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Again, Luke as well, Luke chapter 5, Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. Why did Jesus have to pray? Didn't he have like an like a intuitive hotline to God? And yet we see Jesus spending time, it, it was a time to be, it wasn't a task for Jesus. And I will tell you, again, something I wish, I, this is probably, 
You know, understanding prayer is a time to be versus a task to do, probably one of the top three most powerful things God's shown me in the last 10 years of my life. Uh, top three, absolutely. Because for me, for years, my, my prayer time with God, listen, I had it down to a science, y'all. I mean, I had this, this, this quiet time thing down to a science. I've got my, my, my efficient little prayer list made out. I'm doing the ACTS. I've, I've got all these little things, and it's not like I wasn't praying. Okay, time to pray. Get out my prayer list. Boom, 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 boom. Well, I'm done with that. Now I'm off to the next task. That, that was, that was kind of how my prayer life with God went until somehow I finally realized out of the, God finally got through to me. I said, wait a minute, Phil. You know, prayer is meant to be a time with me, not a task for you. Huge game changer. I think about Manley Beasley Sr., whose son, Manley Beasley Jr., pastors at Hot Springs Baptist. Look at this. Sometimes you have to get your Bible and a jug of water, go to the woods and pray, and stay there until God speaks. Right? It's not something you can just knock out in about five minutes and say, well, I've, I've checked that box. And, and, and one of the most powerful questions I've heard in the last five years came from Pastor Robbie Gallaty. Listen to this. Very simple but profound when was the last time you had an unhurried, uninterrupted time with God? An unhurried, uninterrupted time with God. You remember when we came back from Asbury uh, in Kentucky at the, the revival there, and my wife and I were in Hughes Auditorium for over five hours, and when we walked out of there, it seemed like 15 minutes? I'm telling you, the presence of God is timeless. And to be with God, to be with God, not just to knock off a few tasks, but to be with God. There's power in the presence of God. Here's something else to think about. Third, very practical, confess all known sin. Super, super practical, super simple, amazingly profound. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. Whoever conceals his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 9 First uh, John 1, 8 and 9, actually, very famous verses from the Bible. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, so several years ago, I got a copy of a book that was written, I don't know, maybe 50 years ago or so, by, by a lady named Bertha Smith. It was called How the Spirit Filled My Life. Uh, known to many as Miss Bertha, she was one of the preeminent Baptist missionaries to China in the 20th century. As a matter of fact, she was on hand and played an integral part in what's called the Shantung Revival back in the 1920s, late 20s, early 30s in China, where revival swept over large portions of the Chinese countryside. Uh, one of the big things that she talks about, both in terms of the, the revival in China, but also the filling of the Holy Spirit, is to confess all known sin. Listen to what Miss Bertha said. You can take what she said to the bank. The first essential is to deal with sins. It is not enough to say, Lord, forgive my sins, as if it's some generic kind of thing. A good plan is to sit down with paper and pen and list them. When all known sins are listed, pray the following prayer. Lord, you are light. Shine into my heart and show me anything I have failed to write down. If you are sincere... He will evermore bring to mind attitudes, thoughts, words, and deeds which you may not have diagnosed as sin. Repent thoroughly of all listed sins. And when you have gone through all your sins in this way, you are ready to deal with the root of sin, self. We, it's amazing how, how we tolerate 
things in our lives that keep us from experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. You simply ask God, God, what, what is keeping me from experience this life? It, is there a sin? Psalm 139, I'm just off the top of my head. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Again, go back to A.W. Tozer. I quoted him earlier. Here he is again. Do a thorough job of repenting. Do not hurry to get it over with. Until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us, we will never develop a fear of evil. It is our wretched habit of tolerating sin that prevents us from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Confess all known sins. Here's one more. Look at this. Immediately obey whatever God asks of you. You know, from time to time throughout the day, the Holy Spirit's going to whisper something to you. Hey, go do this. Or, hey, that wasn't good. You need, to, you need to seek forgiveness for that. Or you need to repent of this. Or whatever. Or however God speaks to you through his Holy Spirit, when he does, act on it. Because what happens is, if he gives us something small and we act on that, what more will he tell us or show us? I mean, it, it, there's power in obedience in terms of the impacts that it has on our life and what the Holy Spirit does through our obedience. Jesus reveals himself more so to people who are obedient. John chapter 14, look at this. This is Jesus again. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. There, there, there is a revelation of Jesus in a personal way that follows on the heels of obedience. And lastly, perhaps most simply, is simply this, ask to be filled. Ask to be filled. Jesus talked about asking, seeking, knocking. And in that same context, he talked about the Holy Spirit. Look at this in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and for the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him absolutely ask to be filled incorporate that into your prayer time in the morning before meals different times of the day say please lord fill me with your holy spirit i will tell you every time i walk up here to preach god's word there's two things on my lips one lord please fill me with the holy spirit and two and this was something i heard about a famous british pastor named charles spurgeon from many years ago whenever he would walk up to preach god's word the people who were sitting on the platform would hear him saying under his breath, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when my lips are moving up here during prayer partner time, if you want to know what I'm saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what I'm preaching about, whether I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit or anything else, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you, I want to stand before you as a Spirit-filled man of God when I bring the Word of God. And my encouragement to you today, you know, one of the big, I'll say this and then we'll be done. One of the big temptations when we get on a topic like this is to try to say it all in one message. And you say, well, Pastor, you sure have said a lot today. Hey, we got a lot more to talk about, friends. Next Sunday, I'm going to share some things with you you might not have never heard in church before. So you come on out next week. But I will tell you, I, I, I know that this, what I'm telling you is absolutely real. 
and I want you to experience it as I continue to experience it in my life as well. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.